Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. My guest today is Jeff Knapp. Jeff and I have, man, we've had some fun adventures together for a lot of years. And man, what a ride uh, his life has been. I have been impressed and impacted by his journey. So I'll get into his official bio. Jeff is the owner of Deep Waters Coaching, where he helps Christian men rediscover hope and purpose after they've been through trauma, addiction, or loss. So they can overcome shame and then reclaim their true identity. And I got to tell you, you're going to hear more about this. This is some of his story. And he's a great communicator on this. In fact, we're going to get into that today because he's a writer, a speaker, and a coach. uh, And he's committed to helping others turn their suffering into a superpower. We're going to come back to that phrase, and you're going to hear him drop that in this episode pretty powerfully. I'm going to make sure we get into that um, because I love this part of Jeff's life. And he can regularly be found sharing his story of trauma, addiction, recovery, goes classroom stages and coffee shops. Uh, He's inspirational and impactful in how he does it. Uh, He's a husband, father, and storyteller. By the way, he's also a great, talented voice actor, a content creator, and uh, he may or may not be one of the better skilled handymen that I know as well. Jeff lives with his wife and his two kids here in the Atlanta area, specifically Peachtree Corners, Georgia. So, man, you're going to really love this conversation with my good friend and profound human, Jeff Knapp. Jeff, it is awesome hanging out with you again, man. We've had some adventures over the years. And man, I'm excited to dive into something that... I've seen you do in, gosh, a dozen different settings and different ways. I mean, really, communication. You are a a professional communicator on multiple levels, from your writing to your actual voice, uh, doing voiceovers for other folks, to the strategy of how to say something, to graphic design. I mean, the, the range at which you communicate is really, really interesting. So, I mean, I know people who occasionally can do one or two of those, but but your ability to go deep with somebody as a coach and then pull out and talk like brand strategy is is pretty unique, man. <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's It's been crazy. Uh, I was I was a distracted kid, right? In high school, middle school, <laughs> I, elementary I can relate. school. Every, everywhere throughout it, I was this kid who was always interested in a different story than the one the teacher was telling. <laughs> uh, and often got in trouble because I was busy telling my own story uh, while she was trying to teach. But I, I would say as a storyteller, um, embracing that in in this mm. in the last probably five years has been revolutionary for my life. Um, believe it or not, for a long, long time, I didn't consider myself a creative at all. I think really? the yeah, I think the handcuffs that we give ourselves often from perception of what something's supposed to look like, can often put us in that place of imposter syndrome, even though we already have those gifts, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't look like somebody else we admire. And yeah, okay. we got to unpack this because you're yeah. probably not alone in this, uh, this creative mislabeling, right? Yeah. Cause, Cause from the outside, as a guy who's known you for years, 
Creative has always been something. I mean, there's almost nothing I can think about how you show up from your words to the the things you build. Like you, you don't just do the basic board. I mean, dude, even to your your hairstyle, right? Like you, we were just talking about this, getting into the warm up here, right? Like you both have the the shaved head and like the full on, uh, I would say, high end pirate beard. Uh, I mean, like. It's not scraggly. That's a well-groomed, yeah. I don't know, we had 12 inches? I mean, 10 no. inches? No, I, it's, I mean, listen, it is a very full beard. Yes. And, and because I lost an eye and wear an eye patch every day, I think everybody just kind of goes pirate beard. I call it a glory beard, but you can call it whatever oh, you want. Oh, I like. Well, to see, I, I went pirate, yes. The eye patch definitely skews that way, right? Yeah. Um, but that's why I said high-end pirate, because this is not... This is not your wild scraggly pirate, right? Like this is no. the dude who's got treasure chests in multiple islands and <laughs> oils his beard on the daily, right? Like that. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because I think for me, where it comes to being creative, I think a lot of times what I grew up thinking was if you didn't play an instrument, if mm. you weren't an excellent painter, if you didn't fit some of the literal art sectors, yeah, yeah. Um, at least of my own perception of framework of what art was, you weren't an artist. And yet I did not know how much relationship mm. and communication was an art. Yeah, it is, and it, it's a huge art form that, you know, some people have, are able to learn skills at something and mm -hmm. other people have some natural, just gifted talents. Mm -hmm. And for me, I never realized how much making relationship, keeping relationship, procuring relationship, investing in relationship was all a part of sharing little stories and communication all the time. Yeah. And so for me, I think a big part of what kind of helped me come out of my own shell was realizing that most of the people I was either friends with or connected in business with or who over the years were drawn to me for one reason or another was really interesting stories. Mm. Right. I, and I mean, I can relate to the big piece. Uh, yes. I mean, from, from our first lunch, which I think I, if I remember correctly, which one was the first one vividly, like we just got into life stories within like five minutes, we were going deep and it was good. But yeah, at the heart of it was the ability to communicate intense, beautiful, tragic, profound things. But, but in this like, let me tell you the story, bro. I mean, it yeah. was, it, yeah. So I, I can see that, but it's fascinating. You're right. I, I don't think you're alone that the, the fine arts and creativity become synonymous, right? Like if you're not in classical painting, singing, dancing, sculpting, right? Like a Greek artist, then sorry, creativity is not in the fact. I remember I blew off business for the longest time. I was like, okay. Cause I was a fine arts guy, right? Like I, I actually did have the fine arts. I took painting lessons and I, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly before. I had ballet lessons at one point mm. uh, at 12. My, this was like, none of my friends are allowed to know uh, <laughs> I'm 12. That would have been social death for me as a, like, I was also playing football as a whole other, like there you go. secret pocket of mine. So I did the fine arts but I blew off things like business because I was like, um, listen, I'm an arts like nonprofit ministry guy, right? Like I don't do accounting like you business people, right. creative. And then eventually it was like, actually, this might be the most cool creative field I've ever run across. Yeah. Well, and I think problem solving, this is what's interesting is so much of creativity 
is actually found in boredom and mm-hmm. solutions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Solutions for boredom, that curiosity and all that. And for me, a big part of my story is years of lost opportunity and potential because for me, I was a wayward, confused uh, young teenager who had so much insecurity that I, I chased relationship. And I think some of the storytelling for me actually was born out of lying to try and make friends. <laughs> to be honest with you, like I was, I was just doing anything I could to try and make a friend. And yet over the years, you start realizing that the stories that are lies aren't nearly as interesting as the truth. Ooh, that's, I mean, that's, let, let's not blow past that statement. That's profound. Cause I think all of us, whether we're explicitly making up a story or we're just kind of like shading this and trying to pretend that I, all of us have been in this place of being embarrassed at the actual thinking that somebody else's story is better than my own. Um, well, yeah. And I think so much of it is because we've seen our story every day and we think we're boring. But mm-hmm. the, the thing is, is I, and I teach this all the time in many different aspects, but what I try to help people understand is there's one thing, one thing that you do better than anybody else in the world, mm-hmm. just one thing, but you are, you are better than anyone at it. Yeah. And it's simply being you, but mm-hmm. you know, what you're terrible at being anyone else. <laughs> That's fair. That's a lot fair. of us spend our life trying to be somebody else that we think would be more appreciated, uh, more validated, uh, more rewarding or more interesting. And w- when you really meet a person who's really for you, who's really interested, um, who's available, when you tell them your story, it's all news to them. Yeah. Right. It's, it's yeah. all new information. It's, it's not a, it's not a predictable harm Hallmark movie or something, right? right, it, right. It's got turns and twists and interesting caveats that, that they're never going to see coming in the real story. And um, even the common things, there's fundamental human patterns and themes that we are infinitely drawn to like forever and ever, even the Hallmark movies, which, which I have a hard time sitting through and my wife uh, can't get enough of like, like, Oh yeah. It's mindless. By the way, to share my wife's side of the story, I'll get like all on my high horse about how terrible of a story the Hallmarks are. And have you ever seen those little, um, they're like uh, a spin the wheel things like, a and fill in the blank. And then it's like a executive from big town goes to small town, you know, right. works. It's like you, all the Hallmark movies. Oh, it's a framework. Thing. It's absolutely a framework. Right. And it's by the way, before she, dangerous. before she gets too beat up here, she'll be like, yeah. and so tell me about the story in those, uh, you know, Asian martial arts movies you like. And I'm right. like, <laughs> I mean, dude, but it's, there's some fundamentals that no matter how lame it is, I still like seeing the underdog. Rise up, wipe the blood off his nose, and then beat the smack out of the hero in the final boss fight, right? I know it's coming. So so I would say even to the people who are like, but I don't have um, an eye patch in my story, right? Sure. I would say the fundamentals of our stories told well are infinitely attractive to other people. Humans we have to care about our own stories. This is a thing that I noticed, Scott, that's really, really challenging. I have to embrace and appreciate my own story before anyone else will. And and that was a huge change for me. For years, I wasn't embracing my story. I thought it was less than or boring or unacceptable. Therefore, 
I made up other stories. I tried to be a little bit somebody else. I added ornaments and accoutrements that would somehow accessorize what I saw to be boring. Yeah. And yet, even in, in sales, right? If you don't believe in your product, your client will notice. Yes. Right? And so if you don't, you are the ultimate product. Mm. People who buy from businesses, they don't transact with businesses and they don't partner with businesses. It's all about people and trust. And, and we've been saying this for, for a lot of years. And yet I still see people deciding that when they're going to go sell something or they're going to go try and e even pitch for a, a raise or a promotion or get a job, that what they're trying to do is sell a product and not their person, yes. right? Or to the person that they're trying to create into the hero of their story, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's really sad to me. I've seen it in faith-based, non-faith-based, service-based, product-based. You still see so many people who get so dedicated to telling about the thing they do instead of telling the story about what their product or service will do for their client. That's good. There's a lot to unpack there. So, so first the client focus, the, the, you, you just kind of threw this out, but I'll, I'll underline it. The hero, they are the hero of the story. And I see a lot of businesses make this mistake as well. They think that, so I, the, the metaphor I like to use is star Wars. Um, may, maybe because it works, maybe yeah. because I have a Jedi robe and lightsaber in the closet, right? <laughs> right. For the kids. It's for the kids. You might be biased. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, slightly, slightly biased. So from my purely objective standpoint, the Star Wars metaphor is great for this. I keep wanting to convince people that I'm a Jedi, right? Like I'm going to be Luke Skywalker. I Hang on. Young Luke, not depressed, deadbeat dad, Luke. Like, oh, okay. dude, right. what did they do to that character? I, I have no idea. Come on. Like, he is willing to, to like, die to redeem his father, who's actively like the worst guy in the universe at the time. And then his nephew shows a potential of dark side. And now he's willing to like, that was the, sorry, Star Wars rant over. Okay. So young <laughs> Luke, I'm going to be the hero. Um, but it's not about me being the hero. Even if I can convince them that I'm the hero of the story, that, that doesn't matter to them. Right. Like they're like, yeah, good for you. They might even believe that I'm a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to tell anybody and they're not going to get excited. They're not just, that's my story. And, and as much as it's cool and off, I really want to do sales or engagement or make them involved in whatever I'm doing. Then the story has to have them as the hero. They got to be Luke, right? They got to be Ray. They get to be the one who saves the day. Now, now what I say though, is that we need to be in the story. So this is where star Wars especially comes in is like, who do we get to be in the story? Well, I say we get to be Yoda. Mm. We, we, we can tell a story about how our product or our service is just, just a facilitation. It, we're just the wise mentor, the guide that helps them realize, Hey, you really are pretty awesome. And so there's a focus on them with me as the enabler. I look, look, our stuff, it's about helping you be as awesome as you really could be. Um, well, and that will also bring the ultimate fulfillment. And this is one of the other things that I realized is, is uh, at one point, uh, many years ago, I was detailing cars uh, at a high-end luxury car dealer. I mean, you're talking the ultimate high-end cars. Yeah, yeah. And there was a gentleman that came in there at one point, uh, older gentleman, had a very, very beautiful young woman on his arm and, and another man about his age with him. And he comes into the place and everybody in the service bay, all the salesmen are like, uh, beautiful woman alert. Like you guys need to have some excuse to come out to the lobby right now. <laughs> that might be Giselle Bunchen. 
Um, Poor Tom Brady, but regardless. Anyways, everybody came up with some excuse to go to the bathroom or happen Uh, uh, to lobby to see this, this stunning beauty. And yet this guy walks in and he buys two of the most stunningly beautiful cars as well. Cash right now. Yeah. A Lamborghini and a Ferrari that were gorgeous on the spot. And as he left, I'm back there detailing cars, but the sales guy finally comes out and, and, uh, and I said to him, tell me the story. Like, did that guy literally just buy that Lambo and that Ferrari? And he's like, yeah, he bought one for himself and one for his wife. And I go, that was his wife. Looked like his granddaughter. He said, yeah, that was his wife. And the guy with him was his best friend. And I'm like, what a life. You're you're married to a supermodel. You can buy supercars with cash money. And you 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 were able to hire your best friend so he can just hang out with you and not have to have a job. <laughs> Sounds awesome, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting there telling this guy this thing. And he goes, but Jeff, let me tell you something. That man never smiled. Mm. He was here for two and a half hours, bought two supercars. He's got all these things that the world says will fulfill you. And he yeah. never once cracked a smile wow and it was a story to me back then that i went man like that's not a life i want yeah we sell this idea that success and money and praise and having those those accessories are going to get you this finally get you to this this feeling of i have all that i need i have what it takes this is finally enough yeah and yet you find and i've found the most fulfilled people are the people that are using the best of themselves, whatever it is that they do best for helping other people, for becoming a Yoda, not trying to become the hero on the mountain for themselves, but helping to raise other people up. And it's, it's interesting how in my work, I think over the years, whether it was faith-based nonprofit, even when I was a handyman, I did have this inner ethic that I wanted to help people. That's kind of always been my thing. I've always wanted to create businesses and serve people in a way that makes the world a better place. And I found it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's part of my inner ethics. However, there was for most of my life and still some parts of it, um, that's, that's got a pretty selfish side. Mm. Uh, I'm doing that for you so that I get this X, Y, Z. Yeah, I can, I can relate. And when people see that in you, whether that's employee engagement, whether that's selling a client, whether that's trying to get venture capital, whatever the, the thing is that you're doing, when somebody sees that in you, a little bit of that trust is fractured. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, what's the old saying? Um, people people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's the old saying, know, like, and trust. And And they might know you and they might think you're awesome, but if they do not trust you, you're probably going to fail. Yeah. Game over. Right. Even if you quote unquote win and you get your transactions and you start getting conversions and they might even tell other people, because maybe you've got an undeniably good product. Yeah. But in the long run, that always comes back to bite you. I've never seen somebody win in the long run with who can't and doesn't maintain trust. Um, It's not a bonus. It's not an accelerator. It's a foundational piece. Yeah, but so it's really I hard to keep trust, Scott. It's really hard to keep trust when you're lying. <laughs> and this is this is the thing, man. I finally learned it was too much dang work. Yeah, yeah. To, to soften every edge and to add these little colored notes that made me more interesting that weren't true, because mm-hmm. you know you're supposed to learn this when you're a little child that lying is too hard to keep up. 
Yeah. I'm such a good storyteller. I was really good at it for a long time. <laughs> You're like, but it's working, right? Like it felt like it was until yeah. at 26 years old, I find my life, I've, I've gotten all the things I thought I wanted. Yeah. Um, and yet I was not only unfulfilled, I was crashing and burning and horribly drug addicted. Mm-hmm. I had chased all of those things. Yeah. I had chased the partying and the money and the pretty girls and and the and the and the people know you, famous people, whatever, you yeah. know. You do all that stuff and you get to this place where you go, man, um, I'm supposed to feel like a rock star right now. And I don't even like looking myself in the mirror. Yeah. And that story <laughs> leaks out, you know, and I see so many leaders, man, I, I see this a ton. I see so many leaders who are, who, who like me are white knuckling through trying to hang on to the story they've been telling people about them. And yet, if they would let go, especially in today's culture, something's really shifted. And I think COVID really made a big move on this, Mm. but something's really shifted where what's most attractive these days, all the way down to the youngest people and the oldest, is honesty and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. People want to know you're a real person. Yeah. And I think some of our own inner fractures draw us to people's stories that sound more real. Well, it's funny because we have this, and I've seen this across the board, this, this backwards understanding, right? We are afraid that if we are vulnerable and show flaws and cracks, then it will repel people. However, everybody I talk to says, well, when somebody does that to me, I'm drawn to them. And it's this weird, like almost near universal thing we have to break out of is I'm afraid that those will, the very things that'll draw people to me are the things I'm afraid to show. It's a really interesting I'm not sure exactly where we go wrong, but I think every human I've run across has had to fight that battle. Well, and and I think so much of it starts in the mirror, right? It, it starts in the mirror. There's there's this interesting poem. Uh, my mom tried to give this to me when I was like 14 years old. She gives me a poem called "The Man in the Glass." At this time, I'm I'm already the rebellious kid who's about to get kicked out of school, who's yeah. using drugs and partying and living sort of these two separate lives. Yeah, my yeah. mom doesn't really know of one of the lives, but I certainly knew about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so she gives me a poem, and to me, chasing some, some I don't know, some weird perception of masculinity that was too soft, and uh, I, yeah, it yeah. wasn't going to hit me right anyway. I wasn't into poetry. (laughs) However, I'm so grateful to say that that poem still sits on my dresser at 45. Hmm. And today I don't have to look at it. I've memorized it. And that poem, you've got to share it now. Yeah. (laughs) You can't, you can't do all that and then leave us hanging. I guess not. I guess not. So, so the poems called the man in the glass, I think the author is unknown, but it simply says when you get what you want in your struggle for self, And the world makes you king for a day. Just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. But the one whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. See, they might call you a straight shooting chum. They might call you a wonderful guy. But the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. He's the fellow to please. Never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous test if the guy in the glass is your friend. And you may fool the whole world down a pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Wow. 
I, I mean, I can see why that eventually stuck with you, man. And it still does. And I think that the, the truth is, is that we've got to get okay with the person in the mirror yeah. as a leader, as a father, as a mother, as a, as a, as a friend, as an entrepreneur, I don't care what your title says. That title is not the story you hear about yourself. And until we start working on the inner dialogue and the inner story, then we're communicating a mixed message. Yeah. You've got a lot of this in Hollywood. You know, somebody gets known for a certain presentation of themselves. But when that gets taken away, they crumble, right? Their inner self is never satisfied. And oh, the I best leaders I've found have that inner self is the first one they've chosen to satisfy. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that because uh, you remember my background is on the stage. Um, yeah. TV work, mostly live stage, but I've seen people, actors who, need another role because when they're not in role, they don't really know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, this is why you have a lot of these short-term marriages and flings because when they're acting as if they're in love with their co-star, they feel it. And then the show's over and it's like, wait, that wasn't me. And that wasn't her anyway. And now we like, well, I don't actually like that person. Uh, I liked the person she was pretending to be and vice versa. So yeah, it's, it's a very dangerous thing in the short term to have these vivid experiences, the car, the role, the the story you can tell. But if it isn't your story, it it ultimately, uh, all, I was going to say all it does is postpone it. I think it actually makes things worse because it, it, it disconnects it you even further and it makes the pain more intense. So the crash comes even harder and the things you do to, to fill that void get more desperate the longer and the more dramatically you try to be someone else. And what if I were to tell you, I actually think we get high on our own self-deception Oh, you got to unpack that. What do you mean? I mean, I, I think that at some point the escapism, you know, every, every so take this as a person. In, so I'm a person in long term recovery. Right. Yeah. So a big part of my story was 13 years of a lot of drug addiction. Then my life was massively radically changed. And then about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago now, mm -hmm. I was shot in the eye with a Roman candle firework at a retreat. Yeah. It's a long story. I had two years of surgeries got re-addicted um, when I had to take all these opioids throughout all these surgeries, mm -hmm. got massively addicted to opioids, went through withdrawals nine times in two years, Oof. only to end up having a massive breakdown after that <laughs> when I ended up taking medication that wasn't mine when I was triggered under stress at a certain point mm -hmm. and kind of snapped. Yeah. And I tell that story all over the place because it's my story yeah. and I'm not afraid of it anymore. Yeah, um, I have conquered this this demon of shame, this prison of shame that made me think that that story disqualified me. Right. And the more I share it, the more I find it actually qualifies me. <laughs> yes, because it is in our broken places that have been healed that I think we find many of the ways we help the world. Like, where is it that I can use who I am to make the world a better place? Well, 90% of that comes down to like, well, I have a natural ability. Then it got all broken and out of whack. And as I learned to heal that, that my favorite is, um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but but Kintsuge pottery from Jap Japan. Have you seen this? Kintsuge, mm. Kintsuge. Oh, the, the crack with the gold. Yes. Yes. They get a broken bowl or cup and then they fix it by putting gold in it. And now it's far more beautiful and artistically interesting than it was before it was ever broken. I think that's a great metaphor for life. So, okay. So dude, we got to get a couple of, of, let me double click on a couple of this. Like 
Sure. How, like when you're working with somebody wrestling through their story, how do they figure out what their story is versus the lies they're telling? Are there exercises or tools or just key questions that you've found just help people unlock that or own that? Like how, let's say if someone's got this stirring and they're listening and they're like, I feel like I'm not owning my own self here. How do you help them to acknowledge that? How do you help them find out what their real story is? Well, I think the first thing, and I appreciate that question. I think the first thing is acknowledging that you don't find that on your own. If you would have or could have, you'd have been there by now, <laughs> right? We, we yes. have to accept the fact that so many of us, and I find this not just in masculine culture. I do find it a lot in men, male leaders, hmm. but in all, in all spheres of culture and in all gender descriptions, what you end up finding is that you've got a personality type who's wounded. Right. Uh, and, and it's not even personality, honestly, it's it's trauma. So I've had some sort of an experience that traumatized me. And it could be something as simple as I fell in the mud in fourth grade on the playground and they called me mud butt or whatever. Like yeah, I just made yeah. it up. It didn't actually yeah. happen to me. Um, but, <laughs> Wait, that was that was not a hypothetical. That, that was not that did not happen to me. I had worse stories. Oh, okay. than that, but, okay. but the point is, is it can be something as small as that, that that you've interpreted as something that marks you and your identity yeah. forever. Yeah. And then what happens is, is that becomes the filter with which you hear everything in your subconscious. And so a lot of times when we try to quote unquote, fix ourselves with quote unquote, self-help books yeah. or watching some guru on YouTube, what often happens is we're still just practicing in a vacuum. Mm. We're still the interpreter and the filter of the story. We're the narrator. And what ends up happening is until we get real connection, real, we risk real vulnerability with another person and dare to believe and have the courage to create these, these challenging conversations where we might be rejected with a safe person, then we actually will never get past it. And so yeah. the first thing I say is, is step number one, you're going to have to, you're going to have to create some conversations, some courageous conversations with some people mm -hmm. to get to some of that deeper connection that invites your real self to come to the surface. Ooh, yeah, I love this. And I, I've had the same experience. And when you said it, it, it just like confirmed. I think self-awareness, we often have this uh, concept, like go off in a cave with a journal, right? And get to right. know myself. And what I find is that increases my confidence in my feelings, but it doesn't actually help me see my blind spots or get to know myself better. Most of the, the learning about myself has come when I bounce off of other people. Yeah. And then I need to take that stuff and maybe go to the cave and process. Like, crap, Jeff, Jeff just challenged me. Like, what do I need to do with that challenge? But without the external challenges, that cave processing, and they've actually done social psychological studies on this and found like those people will say they're more self-aware and all their friends will be like, no, you're not actually any more self-aware. Like you feel better in the cave, but without new inputs, I don't think we get to our story solo. It is a community reflection, right? Well, I, I learned, so I'll just tell you, having having ended up literally losing my mind, finding myself in a psychiatric facility with a full burnout breakdown, yeah, yeah. Uh, and having to then rebuild a lot of my life, I actually ended up finding it to be as shameful and horrible and traumatic as it began. Mm -hmm. I ended up having this, this phrase, I was actually on, on a coaching retreat with you, and I had this moment where 
the, the, this deeper insight came to me when I had I'd wrestled with some things that had been said. Yeah. Yes. But it wasn't anybody's guru phrase. It actually was the way in which I had interacted with two other men at that retreat mm-hmm. that brought something up in me and my vulnerability and honesty. They dared to share with me things because they felt safe with me. Right. They thought maybe you're messed up enough, broken enough, honest <laughs> right, enough that right. I can share these things with you yeah. without feeling completely rejected. And then in them doing that, I realized, man, my suffering is my superpower. Ooh. Oh. When I bring it to the surface, it's actually the thing that draws me to people, that has given me empathy, that has created tools and tips and tactics and equipping and knowledge on such a deeper level than I've ever learned in any book. Mm-hmm. And so I, I look in my life now, I look for the people who are who are willing to have those courageous conversations. If you want to talk to me about the weather for a minute, sure, if it's a rainy day, we can talk about that. Yeah, but yeah. if you're trying to avoid the deeper things, then you're never going to have a relationship with me. Mm. I will drop you like a bad habit so <laughs> quick because I'm not interested in living in that self for myself. Yeah. And I know what reward there can be in life when we get below just simply our title. Mm. You, know, you get people together and, and so often in a networking environment, you hear this question. Hey, I'm Jeff. So what do you do? And we become so identified with our job or our role or our title that we forget who we really are. And so my first step is always invite somebody into who you really are Mm -hmm. and then let them tell you how true that is. That's beautiful. Because I had a great man tell me a long time ago, your dearest friends, the closest people, the people you really need are going to be more like a mirror to you than an audience. Yeah. They're going to help you see what you really look like. And and no one can do that if we never turn on the lights, if we never invite them in the room. Mm-hmm. Heck, if we're not willing to look ourselves in the mirror, we're probably not willing to show it to anybody else. But the minute we do that, story starts coming up to the surface that we start daring to believe that, that we in and of ourselves are not only enough. We have incredible value to bring the world, but also we don't have to be anybody for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, the, we almost offend people when we do that, Scott. Yes. And I will say, I have spent a lot of my life terrified of this and I can just report out. And I think you would confirm this, the freedom, the energy, the joy, like lean, owning my own crap, owning where I've broken and healed, owning where I'm still working on healing. Like that actually is more energizing, life-giving and healthy than all the, the fake surface health I tried to before. I mean, it, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's not as bad as it fears, right? Like there's, there's fear at the beginning, but on the other side of that fear is life. I mean, real life. And this also, this isn't just for, you know, your own spiritual work. This is, this is team cultures in business and churches and families and schools and everywhere, it, it, especially if, if, if you're a leader listening to this, let me just tell you something. People see through your fake. You think you're better at it than you are. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Right. When I, when I led my nonprofit, I thought I was, you know, I was really spinning a beautiful tapestry of my awesomeness. And yet, man, my team could see the fractures well before I could. Yeah. No, it's so thankfully I had invited them into some of those deeper conversations in some places and they, they helped me see some of them, 
mm-hmm. but because I was so dedicated to being that other, that other self, I wanted people yeah, to perceive yeah. that I was, I couldn't even bring my full self to the table. No, I find this all the time. We're afraid that if we admit this, then others will find out we have these problems. And my, my universal experience is like, no, they kind of already know you're the only <laughs> one who isn't talking about it. Right. Like we all right. know, dude. So like, just, just own it. Right. Like it's not a surprise, uh, the freedom in that. It, and I, I will say the, the beauty of this, like the, what this frees up, there's so much time and effort that I put into being this fake self that when I don't have to put that time and effort into it, what I can do with it, it gets really, really fun to start exploring like life after pretending it, it gets really beautiful, man. Well, and, and, and let me caveat, let me add this little piece. It is important that this is done in safe places with safe people. It doesn't, okay, good. let me be very clear. You shouldn't get on your like fortune 500, all company zoom call and go, Hey, listen, um, I really struggle with X. My, my situation right now is Y, yes. you know, you don't dump it to everybody. No, no. That's, that's why the, the first step is finding one person you're willing to have that first courageous conversation with Yeah, and, and let that start bringing up a, a part of you that maybe you've thought would be rejected, that you thought would be unacceptable, that you thought might even be your failure. Mm-hmm. and start as you bring that up, test it with them and find out, is that really true? Because the, the worst, the worst storytellers are the people that are collecting bad stories on themselves first. Yes. Right. I, I was wrestling with a, for a long time, even saying storyteller, I kind of felt like I was more a story collector huh? because I didn't have an audience. I didn't have a place for a long time. Oh Yeah. 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 I didn't have a stage. And there was a there was a long season in my recovery, especially from the breakdown, where I was I had to go back to being a handyman. I wasn't running a large business with a lot of crews. It was just me. Yeah, that ended up being as hard as it was, um, as frustrating as it was in some ways. It was so healing mm. because I was kind of stuck with me and <laughs> yeah. problems I could fix. Yes, um, and and I was able to to, to sort of be with myself throughout those days, working on people's rotten windows or clogged toilets or whatever those things were. And those were items I could fix while I couldn't avoid having to be with myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things that I find in a lot of leaders, a lot of visionaries, a lot of entrepreneurs is they're able to stay high on their ideas and their identities and all the things that they're doing. They, they get this buzz, this rush of adrenaline and even dopamine in many cases that keeps them riding the high mm-hmm. of the moment. And yet they don't stop enough and sit and recover and consider and correct. Right. And if you, if you thought about somebody, you've, I'm sure you've heard of this before. If you think about two parallel lines, if you move one, just one tenth of one degree, you're not going to see it for a long time. Right. But if you're one tenth of a degree off, a thousand miles from now, you've, you've completely missed your, you're on the wrong continent. Yeah. Yeah. You're completely, you're completely away. And many of us just need to take the time to recalibrate with a trusted source. Mm -hmm. Right. And for some people that's prayer. I I don't, I don't know entirely where your audience lands on that. What I would say to you is for me, prayer is a huge piece of it, but it hasn't always been. Mm. Even when I was, because, because I, I literally, I was a pastor. Oh, right, um, right. I finally went all the way in and, and like became a pastor and was, was working at a church and all this stuff in one season. 
And I had all the head knowledge, but some of the inner turmoil and some of the inner trauma, um, especially the eye accident, fractured a lot of my my belief systems. Sure. And so eventually there wasn't an amount of prayer that could convince me otherwise of the story I had already been convinced of. Yep. And so, so what I say to most people is before you ever try to be a good storyteller, ever be a good communicator or whatever else, you've got to pull down this, this curtain between you and the man behind it, hmm. right? You are the wizard of Oz, the, the, the dude behind the curtain. Yep. That's who you really are. And you know it, Yeah. but you can get sold this identity and believe in belief in yourself that you're this other creature. But what's, what's really cool is I want to know who's the guy that created that. How did you get there? What made this story happen for you? What was your hard moment? And so when I meet somebody, I no longer go, so what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. Right out of the gate, when I meet somebody, I'm going to ask a question like, and I've got a handful of them. There's a whole bunch of them that just come to me. But one I often use is, man, what's something you're doing right now you're excited about? Oh, that's good. Right? Or, or tell me something you don't normally say. Or if they give me a canned answer, then I love this at networking sessions, right? You get, yeah. because everybody's just walking around with these canned answers. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. Could I do it? Yeah. I could sure. be a liar to you if you want me to be, but I don't want to be that. Right. I don't want to be that. And so part of the way I handle those conversations is somebody will come up and go, hey man, I'm Bob. Uh, I work for so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'd be like, cool. So that's what you do. But who are you? Tell me more about who you are. What are you excited about? Mm. What's something awesome you've done in your life? What was your last great adventure? You know, I, I think a lot of people show up and they want to talk about their successes or they want to talk about their titles. Yeah. And I understand why we're sold a bill of goods that says that's your value. Right. But it's right. not your value. Man to man, person to person, uh, per anywhere in the world, your real value is found in how you make me feel. And I feel more safe and more excited and more enthralled and more interested when you show interest in me. So I heard a phrase a long time ago, and some of these things are old hat to some people, but these were new to me and they were revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody at once say, hey man, first focus on be being interested before focusing on being interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember when that one struck me too. That's profound. And, and I spent so many years because of my insecurity, I wanted to be interesting. I yeah, craved yeah. being interesting. I tried to facilitate and fabricate any kind of interesting <laughs> story I could come up with. Yeah. So you would validate me. And yet the whole story gets flipped on itself when you find out how people really are. Mm -hmm. We're the most interested with people who are interested in us. I was just going to say, that's the irony is that when I finally <laughs> flipped that, because I was that guy too, trying to always look, you know, the, the flashy stage guy, right? Um, right? And when I finally just started focusing on them, they're like, dude, that guy's such a great conversationalist, right? Like I said nothing. All I did was ask them three questions. They got to talk about themselves for 30 minutes and they're like, what a great conversation. Um, yeah. It's well, so I teach courses on communication, brother. And I, I hear on a regular basis, people will say, I'll say, raise your hand if you think you're a good listener. Mm. You get people who raise their hand and I go, I go, who told you so? Well, I, I just kind of know I am. I've, and I, yeah. I help them understand, hey, listen, you don't get to determine that. Yes. You never get to determine whether or not you're a good listener. Somebody else has to tell you you are. Yeah. I thought I was a great listener for many years until somebody told me you're, you're a terrible listener. <laughs> I know I was, I, cause I always was well to come back full circle. I was always trying to prep my next story 
Yep. And as soon as they gave me space, I would be like, Ooh, Ooh, I know a story about that. Ooh, I know a story. And I jump in and try to slot my story into all the open spaces. And yeah. I felt like it was a great conversation because I got to say the stories I wanted, but yeah, dude, it's not the same thing. Man, you know, this, is, this has been phenomenal. And I, I was about to ask you a bunch of questions about the actual tactics of storytelling. And then I just realized how long we've been talking, um, which the time just zoomed by. So dude, maybe we need to do a second conversation and get into like, let's say you figure out your own story. How do you communicate it? What are the the storytelling tools and strategies and, and structures and all that stuff that make for good storytelling? But, but I also think that's probably an entirely other conversation and I don't want to rush through it. So dude, well, I, and it could be, and, and let me say this, please. I, if there's one thing that I've noticed is that the world is starting to catch on that mm. and I've, I've, because there's a lot of marketing stuff out there right now about story. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard lots of people I admire and look up to and people whose books I've bought and read mm-hmm. finally starting to realize how much story is a part of it. And yet they're using a lot of old tactics and old ways of telling stories. And, and I don't, I don't mean like old ways are bad. There's not, I didn't, I and no one else, I, I don't think, is going to come up with some new way to tell stories. Yeah. Stories are old. They're as yeah, old as yeah. time. You go back to hieroglyphics, that was storytelling, mm-hmm. right? However, there are some selfish ways of telling stories, Ooh. right? When I tell yeah. the story I want to tell, the story I want you to know, it's very different than me figuring out what story you're interested in knowing, what, what story you might have planted inside yourself. Yes, sir. And so that's going to require first. And, and it's funny because I, I there's a phenomenal TED Talk. Maybe we can put it in the, the links or comments. Yeah, I would love that. Phenomenal TED Talk from a girl that talks about communication. And she said, you know, you hear all these things about these are the steps to communicating. This, do this, don't do this, all this different type of stuff. And, and she goes, throw it all out. And, and later on, you realize she's not saying those are bad tips. Yeah. But she said, here's the deal be interested, care about them. Hmm. That'll cover so many of those things. You don't have to, you don't have to show active listening skills, actively listen, Yeah. right? Yeah. You don't have to show those things. If you're really doing that, if I really care mm-hmm. to know you and to know your trouble or, or the problem that I'm hoping to solve for you or the, the, the barrier you're running into or yeah. whatever, if I really do care, that will show. Yeah, it, it comes back to what has maybe been a thread through all this is the the power of authenticity. You can come up with all the technique you want, but if it, you not actually believe it, don't actually care, th- then all that stuff actually ends up backfiring. Now, can we get better at communicating our care? Sure, and maybe that's our next conversation. But but yeah, I think you're right. None of that matters if you don't first actually care. Yeah, yeah. Well, I cared deeply that I got to spend this time with you on this call. I, I appreciate that you, that you care so much about your audience, um, mm-hmm. having value from people, not just big names. Um, I'm certainly not a big name, <laughs> um, but, but you're a big heart. Uh, and I could throw some other big mind in town, but to, to be true to our conversation, right? I, I have access to big names, um, famous people in the arts and in business and writers. And, and honestly, I was excited. I reached out to you before most of those folks, because I've seen your heart and your story. And that is more valuable than the fanciest story in the world. 
So thanks for coming. Didn't you? Scott, you just made the case. You just said exactly what I've been saying this whole time. Yes. You told it to me. I didn't have to sell it. You just said your vulnerability, I think, is more valuable than these guys with the big pocketbooks and the big names. And this is what I guess I want the world to understand. Start being kind to yourself. Start accepting who you are. Start being okay with, with who you really are. Mm-hmm. And you will start finding people that really like that person <laughs> yes, and really find value in them. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Hey, we will definitely do a round two. Shoot. We might do round seven and 10 by the time <laughs> we're done without it. this. Thanks, my friend. It's super awesome. Thank you, brother. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K dot com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, You can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.